and welcome to episode 183 of the Wallace Waveland podcast. I'm your host, Weishan, and today I'm joined by uh, Tony, who has uh, just cracked open his number what beer again? Just first beer of the day. First beer of the day. Of the night, you mean? Yeah, of the, yeah, of the night, yes, for me. <laughs> <laughs> it, it was actually funny because you told me that you were ready to start at 9.30 today, and I totally forgot about the time zone difference and I was like I'm about to call you in like five minutes and you said um wait don't you mean 9 30 my time (laughs) I'm always talking my time way Shane you got to get on my level all right damn you (laughs) (laughs) it was early morning here okay not not really early morning but I think I uh I guess I must be still a a little groggy so (laughs) Forgive me for not re- not forgetting. Oh, oh my God, look at this. So yeah, forgive me for not remembering that we still are on a 13-hour difference. <laughs> yes. See, it's all your fault. I'm glad we agree on this. <laughs> anyway, okay. Just to get on, just to get on with things before we start and uh, talk about what we uh, what we have planned for today. Uh, just like to remind everyone that the North American Financial Information Summit, which is NEFIS, Uh, That's happening on the 19th of May at the Convene in Manhattan. Um, It's now open for registration. And uh, Mm -hmm. you guys will be pleased to know that Tony here has has the honor of being the chairperson of the day. I'm I'm excited. Um, This is our big data event of the year. And... So, you know, we're still finalizing the agenda, but we always have a, a, just a ton of C-level data professionals that come in and they're just going to talk about, you know, just the challenges that data professionals are facing in their day-to-day lives. And, but just because it's a data conference that, that shouldn't scare off some people that maybe are like, ah, I don't necessarily work in the data world. I'm not a data, I'm not a market data manager or whatever. Um, because technology and data do bleed together so much now, um, these aren't kind of siloed entities inside of banks and asset managers the way they used to be. Um, there will be a lot of just good discussions and a lot of good talking points um, throughout the day. So definitely worth showing up, if only just to come and say hi to me. <laughs> just to say hi to you? Yeah, just say hi to me. Because <laughs> I'm charming, Wei Shen. I'm charming. Yeah, 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 I see that, I guess. Mm-hmm. Anyway, as usual, I'll I'll include the link here, um, and you can click on it to look at the agenda and also the speakers that um, have been confirmed for it. Uh, it will be a good event, so yeah, get registration in. <laughs> get on it. Yeah. So today, I would like to talk about a story written by Rap Natal earlier this week on uh, how to best transform a workforce. So in the past, Waters has actually approached this topic. Um, from the point of view um, of the banks and what other financial institutions have been you know, telling us about their own efforts and initiatives. But this time, she spoke to an academic um, called Jay Finkelman uh, about this. Uh, Tony, what, what do you think of, of the piece? Well, let me tell you that. First of all, this professor at uh, the school is very, very good. Sorry, I'm just, that's an inside joke because Wei Shen took her a couple times to get uh, the word <laughs> academic and professor out. So, um, <laughs> oh, shut up. <laughs> so, I thought it was interesting because 
this is something that just extends beyond um, just beyond you know financial services. This is every industry. As technology takes jobs away, um, technology, new technology, sophisticated technology does also create new jobs, new markets, um, new areas of employment. Where everyone struggles is how do you kind of retrain, reskill current workers um, to prepare for that next future so that you aren't just laying off everybody where you kind of just people just feel disillusioned or whatever. And it's, it's a huge challenge that everybody's facing right now. Um, and so I guess, uh, you know, from, from his perspective, uh, from Jay uh, Finkelman's perspective, I guess, so he had, uh, what was it? Three areas that, uh, he wanted to, that he, a three pronged approach, right? Um, the first level is uh, that business leaders have to anticipate the levels of resistance that can come from those vested interests, employees, shareholders, and clients accustomed to their typical service. Um, I can say for myself, as I get older and older, you know, I'm now in my 40s, um, I, um, I, I don't like change. Like, like uh, we have this new program at work uh, called uh, Generation Info Pro. It's about, you know, kind of it's, it helps – it's these online tutorials for a wide range of things. And, you know, I'm sure it's a good idea. I'm sure, you know, that it, at its heart, it's a good idea and that everybody means well for it. But I'm just like, oh, God, this is time out of my day. I don't want to have to learn this. I don't want to have to go through this. And so you have people like me and you have to figure out you can't just assume that everybody in the organization is going to be on board. You have to kind of figure out where the levels of resistance are and how you're going to answer for that. Um, the second piece is uh, clearly defining what will be expected of individuals and teams going forward. You know, if people don't know, don't feel like they understand what the roadmap is ahead, what the path ahead is, they're not going to embrace change. And the, the, the fact matter is that change and trying to learn new skills and trying to improve one's skills um, – you know, if, if you can't understand how it's going to help you in the long term and make you a more viable employee in the long term, people are going to push back. And then the third piece is um, the what what uh, Finkelman calls uh, the, the the most the one most forgotten, and that's uh, reinforcement. And so, just a quote from him. Uh, so, quote, uh, part of that is taking corrective action, which will be necessary in a digital transformation because nothing goes quite the way you anticipate when you're doing training. But it needs to be done in a very supportive way so people don't feel like they're being pushed out or that all trepidation that they had going into the process is coming to fruition. I think that so many companies right now are trying to figure out how to handle this um, and – I think it's going to be, you know, we, we talk about the hunt for talent. We've written so much about the hunt for talent and how all banks and tech are now competing with the likes of Google and Amazon to, for, to find the best and the brightest technologists. You know, so much of it is just going to be about how do you get your current employee workforce, the, one, the, the people that do have talent but whose jobs might be uh, replaced by automation. How do you keep them on board, invested, you know, the, the, and – you know, because you don't want to just replace somebody's job and lose somebody who was a talented employee without anywhere else to kind of go. That's that's the worst case scenario, I guess. Um, that was kind of my takeaway. What, what, where, where, where do you stand? 
Well, I, I think it is. Um, yeah, as you said, as you said, this can be approached from many different ways, I guess. And and firms really need to be aware of the the different, or I guess the the, the diversity in uh, n- not only race and color, or technically race and color is the same thing. Sorry, but um, <laughs> but age as well. I mean. Finkelman actually said something really important here. I mean, like those who are in there, who have been at the company for like 20, 30, maybe even more years, you know, how how do they feel about, uh, you know, the company introducing, let's say, a, a new learning or upskilling program, you know? And at that point, would you be like, I'm only probably going to be here for the next, I don't know, maybe five years or even less, or maybe slightly more, but, you know, what's the point in doing this? Or are they introducing this right now? I mean, is that a sign that they're going to be pushing me out um, and that I'm going to be irrelevant to this role in the, the next few coming years? If so, then what's what's the point and what's the, you know, what's kind of, uh, what sort of action should I take at that point? I mean, like, as you said, you're in your... <laughs> 40s now um, and yeah we now have this new e-learning thing I, I mean personally and probably because I'm a lot younger <laughs> I'm uh-huh. I'm very excited um, about what new skills I can learn I mean like I know that uh, one what of what kiss ass you are <laughs> <laughs> no one, one of the topics uh, in there and I don't know to what um, uh, how how in-depth it actually goes so this is what I don't have any insight on um is uh, they they would have topics like data science in it, and uh, others like um, public speaking and and things that are maybe not a hundred percent relevant to like what we journalists do, but still relevant to like daily life. And a couple of times of of um, you know in in the year, I would be on stage maybe moderating or like chairing or doing that sort of thing. So like that, that helps me, I think. I mean, if it, if the, the, the program is actually good, then yeah, I, I think it could help me. So, and, and that is like an additional skill for me to have, but I, I don't know for you in your forties, you know, how do you feel about it? <laughs> well, first of all, let me say I, because I am, uh, uh, this is something I love banging on about if ever you go out for a drink with me at a bar it's a topic that I love to talk about um, is overpopulation and the jobs not being in the future um, there's a candidate that was running for president here in the for the Democrat uh, running for the Democrat in the Democratic primary uh, named Andrew Yang um, and because he was uh, a businessman came from the business world uh, uh, invented uh, kind of this uh, uh, kind of like an education kind of company. I can't remember uh, what the name of it was. They, he kept on talking about how technology is taking jobs. It's not, you know, the Mexicans coming up from south of the border. It's, you know, it's not these kind of protectionist responses. He was the only can that was seriously talking about technology disruption in our society. And he brought up the need that one day we're going to need a universal income. Uh, meaning that his plan was that every single month, every single adult eight, over the age of 18 years old would receive $1,000 from the government, um, so $12,000 a year. Um, no matter your, I, I'm pretty sure it was no matter how much money you made, it's, it's for everybody. Um, and so, it's 
it's an interesting topic. And so for myself, I've started to learn, try and learning to how to use um, uh, Photoshop and InDesign. I used Photoshop when I was in college, but once I kind of broke into the workforce, I stopped using it. So some of the, if you pick up the March issue of Waters, uh, some of the inside uh, images were created by yours truly. Um, and so I'm trying to learn that and I'm slowly trying to pick up uh, coding, but it's just been a bit of a slog because that's the other thing is your day job does take up so much time and you're just exhausted when you come home or it's at the end of the day, you're like, you know, I could put in an hour of training. But I, I, it's how do you fight that resistance? You know, it, it's, it's yeah. almost like you, you need a team of psychologists at the office. Um, <laughs> yeah, seriously. And, you know, so I, I, that's where the problems come in. Cause I do recognize the need to improve my skill set. I do recognize the need that I should know how to code at a basic level. I, I should know how to use in Adobe InDesign and Photoshop and what have you. I, I know that I should know these things because one day when I screw up horribly and I get shit canned from this job, you know, I'm going to need to have a, you know, a backup or I'm going to need to find a new job. And if, I'm a dinosaur that all I can do is uh, I can write but like, yeah, well, this kid over here can write, you can code, you can use fo uh, Adobe Photoshop. And so, yeah, we'll take him. And so th that's the challenge I think that everybody faces. One interesting thing, we recently wrote an article about uh, DNB Bank, um, Nor it's uh, Norway's largest financial services group. And they began a three-year big data and data science initiative. Um, and this year will be the last year of it. So they're two years in. This is going to be the last year. And the strategy, um, which included its launch of big data repository deployed by AWS, um, has allowed the firm to leverage other new technologies such as AI, machine learning, natural language processing, yada, yada. Um, and what they did is, since the beginning, the firm has created more than 50 data stewards and 50 data scientist roles. So that's 100 jobs inside of the bank that did not exist previously. And all those positions were filled by upskilling and reskilling existing staff. They didn't hire anybody for those 100 positions. So it can be done. Mm. It's just challenging. You know, how do you do it and how do you get people to buy in? And like you said, how do you make it so that they don't feel like they're being replaced? How do they make it so that, you know, that they're on board with this and that they recognize it's good? I think that's a challenge. And then again, you know, if you're just busy with your day job, you know, or I don't even have, you know, I don't have uh, any kids. You know, you, you're working all day. You got to go home to the kids. All right, now it's 10 o'clock at night. The kids are in bed. Do you really want to spend that hour, hour and a half, two hours, whatever it is, you know, working on a new skill? It's mm. not, it's, it, it sounds easier than it's, than it, than it is, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I guess, I guess coming back to maybe your point about like coding, I mean, that's something that I wanted to do last year as well. And I, I have said previously, I think in maybe the last few episodes that one of my goals for this year, well, again, because I couldn't complete it last year, was to learn how to code in uh, Python. So previously I had been going, um, looking at like free on online courses and so because I didn't actually achieve my goal, I, I thought, oh, okay, maybe, maybe I should actually pay for it, and then that would, that would actually make me like sit down and actually learn how to code because I had already paid for it. So, uh, while I haven't actually done that right now, but uh, 
this is something that I'm actually looking to do. So, but but you're right. I mean, this is not part of our day-to-day job. I mean, for us, particularly as journalists here, we we don't need to learn how to code, but it's only out of interest that I, I want to. And out of the, you know, this, the conversations that we have with, with uh, people in our industry, you know, that uh, this is a really useful thing to have. If not, then it's just, you know, for fun. But how often do I come home and it's like, I'm so tired from the whole day or like going out for meetings and like just everyday life, coming home, you cooking. You actually go out to the gym, something I don't even do, so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I go to the gym at 6.30, come home and I have to cook and uh, make dinner. And by the end of it, I've, I'm like, I'm, I'm beat. I'm tired. Like, do I really want to turn on my laptop again and like, start a course it's like i just want to come home watch sex education on netflix and just zone out you know (laughs) (laughs) it's good right i told you it's good (laughs) you're right you're right you're always you got good taste except for a strong girl whatever but yeah i have another one for you to watch (laughs) (laughs) it's it's called crash landing on you it's it's really good um well yeah crash landing on you crash landing on you so um just to, um, I guess, a little bit of a sidetrack. So it's it's about this girl who um, who gets uh, through through a storm. She gets uh, she's paragliding and she accidentally lands up from South Korea in in the North Korea um, demilitarized zone. So it's about um, one of the soldiers or one of the captains, I guess, trying to protect her and bring her back to South Korea, even though it's. Um, I guess wrong for him to do so, yeah. Um, yeah, so I'm just looking at it online, and uh, yeah, I think I'll watch it. Uh, looks like a good-looking cast there. <laughs> oh yes, yes, very, very, very good-looking. So uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I can't say anyway. that I have not shed tears yeah. on this, but yeah. Anyway, <laughs> so. Um, <laughs> Another another point about like transforming a, a workforce. I mean, even though this is so difficult, but it it also takes two hands to clap, right? So, the the firm, uh, the the firm itself has to know what approach it wants to take, and how it's going to take it. Uh, whether or not it needs to be different for different, for example, age groups, for example, um, or like maybe if you're part of a yeah, I mean, who. I guess how maybe how long you've been in the company for, but at the same time the individual um, themselves has to take that leap, right? If yeah. if they're not willing to, um, you know, add a new skill or uh, maybe maybe it's not even for their jobs. Maybe it's just like for I, I guess additional learning, um, self improvement, you know. But if they're not willing to do that and to put the work in, then there's no point in it at all. Um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so yeah, this, no, I, I completely yeah. Um, and uh, it, it's a t- it's a tough uh, thing that everybody's gonna have to you know it, it's it's one of those things that every firm's got to create a program, got to start thinking about how they're gonna create a program because again, you don't want to lose talented people simply because of automation or simply because. And then there is the other aspect of it is it gives some people something to work for. Now, granted, you have to figure out ways of implementing these changes without being massively disruption disrupting to the job at hand yeah. you know yeah yeah and um and another point here is that you know 
um, that Reb mentioned in his story is like the greatest issue to keep in mind for financial firms though is, you know, and it's true, like the bigger the organization, the harder the project will be because just because of the scale and the amount of people that they'll be handling and the resources that um, need to be involved for that. So a lot of time, a lot of money and a lot of effort um, into something that you that may not actually work. And it depends on the approach too. I mean, if if one if approach A does not make it, I mean, does the firm then go on to approach B and then to C uh, to find what actually works? Or, you know, how, how can they, I guess, um, find a method that could potentially work very well instead of going through, like, you know, one approach to the other? Yeah. And I, I think then the, the one last point that I, would, that I would throw in too is you train these people. You put in a lot of effort. Uh, money these training courses can cost a lot if they're not just doing it on their own so you actually have a training course on your and provided um you help this employee to become more skilled um they're going to potentially look for more money and that what happens then if they jump ship then you wasted all this time and effort on training somebody to become a data scientist say mm-hmm. uh, for example um and all of a sudden they're like hey wow i'm really good at coding now and uh, or i'm really good at <laughs> being a data steward um i'm gonna leave this uh crappy little bank and i'm gonna go work at uh, goldman sachs or jp morgan you know it's like how do you prevent that too um and then if you create blockages so meaning like all right we'll train you on this but then you have to do a non-compete with us or maybe not a non-compete but even like be like a crawlback kind of system hmm are you starting off the program on the right foot or will the employee kind of feel like they're kind of being boxed in by doing this? There's a lot of questions that have to be answered there. Yeah. I mean, for one, if, if, um, if I worked for a company that, um, stated that as in, I would have to work for the company or there's like a no compete. If I go through this, like, um, uh, educational program or whatever upskilling program, Mm -hmm. then, I mean that, yeah, that does not appeal to me, and uh, <laughs> I would I would have serious second thoughts on like whether I want to stay or not. Yeah. Yeah. No, mm-hmm. absolutely. I think that's just natural. Yeah, but then also it, I mean, change for anyone is tough. Not everyone likes change. Actually, it very few people. I don't like change. Yeah. 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 Because you're old, but <laughs> I mean no, but. <laughs> but in all seriousness, um, yeah, change is not something that everyone embraces easily. Uh, but in this time and age, I guess, um, and with more companies digitizing and you know um, automation happening throughout the firm or firms and all sorts of firms at that, not only financial firms. I mean, so what's my point again? <laughs> Just rambling on. Man, you were off your game today. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, guys. But, um, yeah, so that is just something that um, firms will have to figure out. <laughs> change is not change is not a good thing, uh, but it's something that Speaking should happen. Speaking of change, <laughs> let's change the subject. <laughs> <laughs> good segue, good segue. <laughs> good segue. <laughs> so, 
I thought it'd be interesting to talk a bit about the coronavirus. And since um, I haven't spoken about it in the past and how um, Hong Kong particularly is affected, I thought we could um, talk about that. So um, I've actually been working from home in Malaysia the past month um, after I mean, I went I went home for the Chinese New Year holidays, not holidays, but um, festivities. And I worked from home after that and just got back to Hong Kong on Friday, last Friday. And once once I landed, um, the first email that I saw was from our, our company saying that there is a suspected case in our building. Um, so, I mean, not although... Not company, in the building. Yeah, not in our company, but in the building. I mean, they're, they're, we have like 27 floors in that building, so... Um, yeah. Yeah, all we know and all, all the building managers told us is that this this suspected case, it was worked in the higher floors. So technically, this person would have been riding in the lift that we, we, we go in every day. So first thought came to my mind is like, I'm just back in Hong Kong and I'm like, I can't go to the office on Monday. Okay, great. Um, yeah, so I was really annoyed at that fact, but I mean, well, just got to accept the situation, right? So then by Sunday, uh, the case was confirmed and um, uh, our HR said, sent an email around saying that there will be a two-week mandatory shutdown of our office. I don't know whether the whole building is shut down, but anyway, our, our office um, in Quarry Bay was closed or is closed since it's still during the second week, I mean, sorry, <laughs> it's still, we're still in the first week of this two-week mandatory shutdown. Um, and they would be disinfecting the whole place. So I've been working from home or maybe um, meeting up with friends to work at their homes. Uh, and things in Hong Kong have been relatively calm, uh, except for the fact that... <laughs> okay. <laughs> A, a couple of days ago, uh, this news came out and I thought it was really funny. So, two two men have been arrested. Okay, yeah, actually, they are, yeah, they are men. Yep. Two men have been arrested for um, robbing a supermarket of toilet rolls. And this is, um, I think, the amount uh, they, they ran off with in toilet rolls. I mean, it's... It, it, came up to Hong Kong dollars, 1,006. So that's like, um, roughly divided by eight. Okay, that's like 160 pounds. Uh, how much is that in US dollars, Tony? Do you know? I have, what, what, yeah, I have no idea. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> I, not America. I am, I'm America-centric, man. I don't know. <laughs> anyway, I can't do the math right now, but it's 1,006 Hong Kong dollars. And um, yeah, they, they ran out with about 50 packets, uh, basically holding 600 toilet rolls. So, so just to give you some, it's uh, 129 US dollars. There we go. <laughs> yeah, so um, although things have seemed like it's kind of normal and like, Okay, maybe normal is the wrong word. I've been staying at home this whole while, so um, it's it's a bit crazy that people are acting this way, and uh, I I I don't know what to make of it really. What do you think, Tony? Uh, yeah. So there was the initial panic, like in the U.S., 
that you know where people are like oh my god it's another epidemic pandemic and i was like man i remember sars like we had sars like the star scare uh back in what the the early 2000s um you know we've had a lot of scares and i think i think it's in the u.s i can't so i can't speak for asia obviously um but in the u.s the media loves to jump on these and overblow, oh, make these subjects more overblown. Um, the people that are most at risk of death from uh, coronavirus are the elderly and infants. Um, that's also true of the flu, though. Granted, flu death rates, while there are many more flu deaths in, um, or many more deaths as a result of flu, um, as a percentage, it's much, it's a much de- uh, less deadly virus. So I do understand that, but. We really seize on these, and it it almost it there's a tinge of racism I always kind of found in it, or I felt in it, is that it's like oh there's this pandemic that's breaking out in Asia and it's spreading here to the U.S. like some you know like like a virus you know it's like I don't know it's like until it's an actual thing like the U.S. just started like the media was just hammering on this and everybody started freaking out over here and it's like. There's no reason to be freaking out about this right now here in Asia. Obviously, it's a different thing, but I kind of felt it was more of a – yeah, just more so, – so much more overblown again over here. I'm not going to speak for you. You you have to deal with the people in gas masks on your uh, train and uh, whatever have you there. <laughs> I, I reckon actually that that person had the, ga- the gas mask from, from – uh, sorry. For those who you don't know, I actually sent a picture of um, – <laughs> Um, one of my rides on the train um, yesterday and everyone's wearing like a normal, uh, I guess, a surgical mask. Um, but there are a few that are wearing actual gas masks. Um, they might have gotten this, uh, you know, while the protests were still going on. Maybe they were one of them who participated in it. I, I don't know. But it seemed quite um, over the top. Um, but yeah. It's like a kid. like a, you know, middle like what 20 year old looking person you know it's like i don't think i think you're you're going a bit over the top there buddy (laughs) yeah but i mean it is um it is serious here and a lot of people are taking precaution extra precautions i guess because of what happened in the past with with sars here uh a lot of people um fell to the, the 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 virus i guess and so cleanliness here uh, in terms of like the uh, the the subway and uh, in general, like when when people are not feeling well here, they would wear masks to protect um, other people from like catching their germs. So yeah. um, while I'm not used to wearing masks often, but now uh, whenever I go out, I put one on. Um, I have to carry like wet wipes and hand sanitizers. It's just like a bunch of other things that my bag has to fit <laughs> um so yeah and, and it's it's so easy to just forget like i i have i stepped out yesterday and I, I i took the lift down and i was like oh my mask's not on like so i had to like uh just stop by the sidewalk and like just put put my mask on and it's just something that i i realize it's something that i'm not used to but it has yeah. become a new normal in in hong kong um, yeah, but I do think people are also, um, I guess, o- over panicking, um, like hoarding toilet papers, you know, and, and it's it's like toilet papers, the amount of toilet papers you have right now defines your wealth. 
It's, it's, funny. <laughs> it's like Lord of the Flies out there. He who holds the toilet paper will rule the kingdom. <laughs> um, I, I wish I could show you a picture. There was this. Um, there's a picture going around of this apartment because, you know, uh, uh, in Hong Kong, more more often than not, you'd be able to see into the next person's uh, room, <laughs> um, in in another building. So I think this picture was taken from across a. Uh, a build, uh, across the road it looks like and in their storage room or in a room not really a storage room there were like rolls and rolls of toilet paper and it was almost filled to the ceiling really um i'll send this to you later tony but yeah <laughs> if, if only like we would post it on the website <laughs> that would be i funny. think that this begs an important question wait the way Shen, is this all right so let's say that you did turn to a life of crime what would be the three things that you would be absolutely sure to get while on a uh, a spree of robberies? Um, okay, what what are the circumstances we live in, <laughs> actually? So so same thing. Like, but let's say that this was a really bad pandemic where you really couldn't go out. You know, you, but yeah. So you just like you, you know that you're going to kind of be locked in for a bit. You know, kind of that kind of a situation. So the three things that I would steal. Yeah. They would all be food, actually. So um, maybe rice or pasta, um, and I guess I would have to do meat runs every every now and then. <laughs> so, <laughs> or... well, you just start killing humans. That's fine. You can you can handle that. <laughs> oh shit! <laughs> yeah, yeah. Stuff them in my freezer. Oh my god! I don't know if I want to cut that out. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Dahmer. <laughs> Um, and the third thing, I, um, I don't know, just food items. I don't think I would steal anything else. So we're, and we're going to assume that water is still flowing, so you don't have to worry about that. The water out of your tap will be okay. Yes. Um, rice is a good call because rice, you can, you know, just eat that and, you know, just have it as kind of a staple here and there. Um, I mean, toilet paper is a good call because that would kind of suck to run out of that. That, that's, uh. (laughs) <laughs> you know, I can understand that guy's thinking there, you know. Um, hmm. it, it is, but I mean, you know, there are other alternatives. You could just take another shower or I don't know. It's yeah. true. That's a good point. You know what? That's a that's a very good point. Yeah. I, I, OK, not toilet paper. Then, I mean, beer certainly is going to be up there, though oh, yes. heavy. But, oh, yes. you know, we'll assume that I have a pickup truck. I wouldn't be getting um, beer. I would have like I would have an unlimited amount of gin and whiskey and wine. Yeah. That's probably smart. Actually, that, that's that's see, Weisha, you see, you're ready. You 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 got this all. You, you I think you thought about this a little bit because you're right. Because <laughs> you know, you get a nice little bo- couple bottles of vodka and boom, you're set for a little while. You know. Um, so yeah, I agree with that. Hmm. hmm. Yeah. Then I yeah. So it'd be vodka, rice, and. What else do I need? I guess I don't really need much in my life. That's good to know. At least I'm, I'm not uh, not vain, you know? Well, and, and if you run out of vodka, I mean, if uh, you could just buy potatoes and make your own, I guess. I got, yeah, yeah. And that's how I go blind. <laughs> <laughs> uh, on a separate topic, you do actually have a beer making kit, don't you? I used to. I, I haven't done beer making in a long time I, like one of my best friends uh he's a brewer and he's incredibly good at it and so 
you know, when I want homemade stuff, I just walk over to his place and just grab stuff. He actually has three taps set up um, inside of his apartment, so I just go over there and just drink his beer. So, nice. you know, that, that this is a key to life, Wei Shen, is to make friends, not who you're necessarily friends with and they have kind of personal attachment with, friends that can help you in life, you know? And so <laughs> you have a rich friend in case you need to have, you know, a little bit of a money and, you know, in case you run into a hard spot and need a thousand uh, dollar spot, you know? So you get that person, you get somebody that has like really good hookups, you know, for sporting events, things like that, concerts, you get somebody that can make beer. These are the important things to have in life. Um, <laughs> if you ask me, you know, find a friend that, you know, maybe is a dealer, you know, if you were into that kind of thing, you know, I'm not saying you are, uh, so, you know, a friend in need is a friend indeed. That's what I'm trying to say here. How true is that? Very true. Well, okay. Uh, I think we've, we've gotten on enough, uh, about, well, I guess, uh, yeah, everything, pandemic situations all the way down to stealing. Um, so I think maybe we should stop at that. <laughs> I think we can wrap it up, certainly. And uh, yeah, I'll go watch Crash Landing on you next. <laughs> yeah, I guarantee you'll love it. Yeah, you will. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Anyone else who is watching or who has finished already, just like give me a shout out and uh, let me know what you think. But yeah, um, if not, then till next week. So have a good week, guys, and take care. Keep safe. Have a good week, y'all.